Luke 19, 1 through 10 is where we're going to be. And so uh, you can go there on your app if you have that, or your paper Bible if you have that, or we'll put it up on the screen for you as well. Luke 19, 1 through 10. And if you're just jumping in with us uh, in the book of Luke, welcome. We've been going through the book of Luke for over a year now. It'll be a year and a half total uh, through the book of Luke. We'll end the book of Luke uh, right at Easter. And Luke covers the life of Jesus, the man, the message, the mission. And uh, it's just an amazing book. I've really been enjoying sharing it, teaching it. I hope you've been receiving a lot from God's Word. Uh, Last week in Luke, where we landed was we started with uh, Jesus and his disciples approaching the city of Jericho. And Jesus heals this man who is blind, one of at least two in the scriptures. And his physical sight was an outward picture of what had already happened, that he had gained spiritual sight by trusting in Jesus. And and this week he'll do it again. He completely changes another man's life, uh, inward and even outward. Why? Well, because that's the reason that Jesus came. That is why he came. Look with me, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 19. Here's why he came. Jesus said to them, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, that's his favorite name for himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was the mission of Jesus, to seek and to save the lost. He was on a search and rescue mission, seeking people and saving people and taking those people who are far from God and bringing them back into right relationship with God to to rescue them. And and I'm praying that today God will do some of that work among us even uh, this morning. So, hey, when I was in college, uh, I used to travel up and down the East Coast and preach and teach and lead worship at conferences and, and churches and, and camps and things. And I would teach the Bible and, and love doing that. And that's actually how I met my wife. She was the pretty girl singing in the band. And so uh, that's how we got to know each other. And when traveling, uh, I would usually get to stay at somebody's house in the church that was hosting us. And so that was, uh, well, very interesting. Uh, Doing that for two to three weekends a month for four years of college. I've got some stories to share. And can I share one with you this morning? So um, one particular weekend, I stayed with this really nice family in North Carolina. Uh, Sweet, sweet family. I mean, it was North Carolina, y'all, right? I mean, it was North Carolina. And uh, I remember going to bed Saturday night after just being stuffed with just good, southern fried comfort food and just feeling like a rock laying in the bed. And I remember going to sleep and and waking up in the morning and I had to preach at the church that morning. So I grabbed my Bible and I was going to go sit in their living room and, uh, you know, just prepare, go through my notes a little bit more. And I, I remember walking down the hall and walking into the living room and to my surprise were Ma and Pa. And Ma was uh, at the table cleaning her handgun and Pa was sitting in his recliner reading his newspaper and nothing but his tidy whities And I remember just being a little bit, you know, a little bit taken back, but I'd already been seen. And so I just tried to blow it up. Good, good morning. And I sat at the sofa with my Bible. And, yeah, I didn't get any work done. But anyhow, uh, i got to be honest. I was scared. Here's Mom. She didn't have her wig on. She was in her nightgown, and she was cleaning her... <laughs> Her pistol, and uh, I, was, I was scared. Well, in today's passage, Jesus is doing some ministry, and he stays the night in what's actually a, a very scary situation. Jesus comes into town, and of 
all the people, whose house does he choose to stay at? He chooses to stay at the town mob boss. His name? Zacchaeus. Now, of course, if you grew up in the church, you know the song, right? The kid song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord. He wanted to see, you know the song, right? And as much as I, I love that song, we keep hearing, a wee little man was he, a wee little man was he, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the, the tree. Well, we, we let his weeness outshine his brutality so that the grace that he ends up receiving doesn't seem so big of a deal because he's just a, a short guy who climbs a tree and that's kind of cute. But there is so much more, so much more to this passage. And throughout the ministry of Jesus, we've seen Jesus uh, speaking to and ministering to just a, a number of, of tax collectors. And, and tax collectors were people who worked for Rome. And Rome was this ever-expanding world superpower. And what they would do is they would, they would go into new territories. And to take that territory, they would, they would kill whoever they needed to kill who wasn't going to submit. They would charge outrageous taxes on these people to support the empire so that they could get more military personnel, so that they could be more powerful. It just led to just massive, massive, Massive expansion, and as they kept people poor by taxing them to death, they, they really just couldn't even afford to revolt. And so Rome just became this growing, growing power, and they would kill whoever they needed to kill, and then other people who felt that their only option was to submit, they would submit to Rome's power. Now, one of the problems that Rome then faced as a result was as they went into these unfamiliar lands, they, they didn't uh, know anything about some of these nations and these people that they would go to be among. They didn't know about their currency. They didn't know about the, who the power people were, who the wealthy people were, who the poor people were, where people hid their money. And so what they needed was an inside man. And so they started to hire native people from among the people that they were going in and oppressing. And, and these were people who knew the currency. They knew the systems. They knew who had wealth, who didn't. They knew where people hid their money. And those people would become the, the tax collectors. And the tax collectors could come into your home and they could be uh, backed behind them with, with armed soldiers coming into your house. And if the tax that you owed to Rome was $100, they had permission. They could say, well, it's $200. And $100 goes to Rome and $100 goes to them. And so they got very, very wealthy. And if you failed to pay up, they could even have your head. That's our leading character for the story that we're here looking at this morning. It's not just the, you know, cute wee little man. This is a scary, powerful, extremely hated man, Zacchaeus. So let's read 19, 1 through 2. We started at the end. Let's start at the beginning. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. That's Jesus. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. So there he is, our man Zacchaeus. And he's not just a tax collector. Jericho, on, on their way to, to Jerusalem where the cross would happen and the resurrection would happen and it would all go down, Jericho was close and it was a very sizable city. And it says that he was not just a tax collector, he says he was a chief tax collector. Chief. That means 
Big dog, think mob boss. He's very well known. He's most hated, most powerful, most wealthy from dirty money. And it really kind of changes your perspective on the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbs up in the tree, right? It changes things a little bit from how maybe you learned it as a, as a child. He was a horribly terrifying man. He was wicked and he had a love of money and he had a love of power so much so that he would betray family and friends and his own people and he could come into your house and he could with soldiers demand you to pay up it's just just sick but everything changes on this particular day because jesus rolls into his city and as we've already read in those last two verses of today's passage verses 9 and 10 salvation comes to his house and his life is forever changed because jesus came seeking so that he might save the lost. And and the Bible can be hard to read at times. Let me just acknowledge that. I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy. It's just clear all the time. It can be hard to read, but I love it. Isn't it nice when the the Bible will tell us what the point of the story is? And Jesus says, hey, here's what it's all about. Salvation comes to this house because I've come to seek and to save the lost. And so this whole story is about Zacchaeus' conversion, about how he's changed by Jesus. But not just Zacchaeus, it's about how all people can be changed by Jesus. It's an example of what happens when someone is changed by Jesus. Call it salvation, call it being born again, call it placing faith in Jesus, call it becoming a Christian. Whatever language you choose to use, and they're all okay, but for the remainder of the time, that's what we want to look at, is his coming to Jesus moment. And Zacchaeus' experience will be used for us this morning as, as an outline. What I want to do is I want to look at a, at a sequence here that Jesus calls salvation. The Puritans, uh, they would do this. They, they would write out these long uh, reports and charts and documents and books on the order of salvation, pouring over the scriptures, focusing on words and on tenses. And, and, and for me, you know, I, I honestly, I've always kind of felt like about that, that, you know, these charts and documents, it just feels a little too, too boxy, too structured, too rigid, but I, I get their heart. And, and, and their heart is, is similar to my heart this morning, is that I really want people to see how Jesus changes a life. I want you to see it, first of all, for yourself so that we can know for certain and with clarity that we have, in fact, become a Christian. I read an article this week, and it posed this question kind of aimed at at pastors. And it said, hey, pastors, Christian pastors, if you were to go hang out with a bunch of of Hindus and befriend them and and spend time with them and even kind of start worshiping the way they do, how would you know at which point you actually become Hindu? And I thought about it, I said, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know when I would become officially a, a Hindu. And the challenge was, well, similarly, we're in increasingly non-Christian America, and we can't just assume that people know when they become a Christian. Some people think, well, you know, my parents were Christian, I'm Christian, and I always say to that, you can't carpool to heaven. It's never worked like that. Right? It's a decision that you make for yourself as God prompts you in your heart. And so, my heart is to help you, me, all of us kind of understand how and when Jesus changes you. And then my heart also is for, for those of us who are, are seeking to introduce other people to Jesus so that we can 
better understand where they're at and how we can share with them and how we can pray specifically for them. Now, even the Apostle Paul himself in the Scriptures uh, was concerned with the order of salvation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 30, he says this. He says, it says, and, and those whom he, the Lord, predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, that's a sermon for another day, but I want to show you that, that sequence is important even though we tend to not enjoy systematic kind of thinking systematic theology let's stick to Zacchaeus uh, because he follows this order here's here's the outline the order we see for Zacchaeus and we could add all these different points and make it a massive I was in a sermon one time no lie the pastor said this morning I'm going to give you 32 points on and I don't remember what he talked about because I I was done at 32 points I just want to give you three three things here Three pieces to this order for salvation. And they are grace, repentance, and evidence. Grace, repentance, and evidence. Now, let's read the rest of Zacchaeus' story, 3 through 10. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. And so he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. For he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. He's Jewish. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a great story. More than just a song. It's about a wicked man who was changed by Jesus. Now, he is a very extreme case, but let's be reminded, though we may not look like that in terms of how our wickedness plays out, we're all wicked from within. The scripture says that there is no one righteous. No, not even one. And if God can move in him on the outer fringes of wickedness, then God can move within us. Now, the order here that we see for Zacchaeus is grace, repentance, and and evidence. Now, there are two things that we cannot do when we walk through this. First of all, we cannot change the order. We cannot change the order, and we cannot omit some pieces to this sequence. Think with me about misordering for, for a second. Misordering. Pe- people do this all the time. They, they try to change the, the sequence. Maybe an example of this would be expecting people to display evidence or obedience to the Bible prior to grace. Prior to being overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus that comes to them. Uh, maybe another example, example is we'll try to legislate politically morality to people who aren't Christians. So why do we expect them to, to think like Christians? Or we'll try to change people, primarily our children, parents, we'll try to change their behavior prior to a change of heart. 
And behavior that doesn't flow out of the heart is a well that dries up really quickly. Really does. So don't change the order. The other thing I said is that we don't want to omit any piece of this sequence. An example of this would be there are so many people out there, can we say Christian America, who claim grace and repentance and that's me, that's where I've been. That's all happened in my life, yet there's no evidence. There's no obedience. There's no life change. And I say, really? And the world says, really? And when there's complacent Christianity, that is when you see the decline of Christianity in a culture. But when there's persecution, you look through history and the seasons of the greatest persecution upon the church where the true people stay and those who don't really fully love the Lord bail. Those are the seasons of the church's greatest growth because there's people who are not complacent. They really believe this. They've really been impacted by the grace of God such that they're not going to bail. And so we can't misorder and we can't omit. Grace, repentance, and evidence. Now, let's, let's walk through these if we can. And you may be a note taker, and that's, that's great. So verses 3 through 4, Jesus comes into the city. And we see Zacchaeus kind of running around. He's up on his, on his tiptoes. He's, he, he's jumping up into trees. And he's trying to see Jesus because the, the crowd is so large that, that they're blocking this wee man, this short in stature man, so that he couldn't, he couldn't see him. That's a ton of people uh, around Jesus. The, the, the popularity of this Jesus from Nazareth has grown massively at this point. In the verses ahead, you will then see him coming into Jerusalem at his triumphal entry. And, and what does Zacchaeus do? Notice it specifically says he, he runs ahead and he climbs up in a tree to meet and to see Jesus. He has not yet met Jesus He has not yet been changed by Jesus. But what we see here is that something is happening in his heart. And and as I've already outlined, there's there's three parts to this sequence that are more visible components. But there is one more. And it's, we'll call it point zero. (laughs) So if you, sorry to mess up you OCD people like me who took notes on the top line. But there there is zero, point zero. And let's call that drawing the drawing of the spirit of God in John chapter 6 Jesus is giving this extensive teaching on salvation and he says in verse 44 he says no one can come to the to to the to me unless the father who sent me draws him no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And one of the greatest mysteries of salvation is that we don't initiate it. One of the greatest mysteries of salvation is that God initiates it. And sometimes we feel like, well, I took that step and I did that, but it was ultimately God prompting you. If you took that step, it's not a search and rescue mission, as Jesus said in verse 10, is it? It's a, I'm coming home. But no, it was a search and rescue. I came to seek and to save the lost. And so God is, is doing something in Zacchaeus' heart. Prior to Zacchaeus having this moment of coming to Jesus, such that he's running to Jesus and he's climbing up in, in, in trees. And perhaps you're kind of like Zacchaeus in a way too. Maybe, maybe you're not the stereotypical person in the eyes of the world who, 
who comes to Jesus, who would love Jesus. Have you ever had that thought, how did I end up in church? How did I, of all people, become a Christian? And it's likely that unmerited, mysterious, drawing election of the Lord. I, I can recall uh, the drawing of Jesus in my own heart. I was, a, I was a young guy, and I remember for several weeks, I was coming to church, and, and I just had this, this tugging at my heart. Josh, you need to respond to this sermon as the, 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 the pastor was preaching. And in just a few weeks, just really feeling, I need to respond right now. Until finally, I just absolutely could not resist it any longer. And I responded to the sermon and I, I gave my life to Jesus because God was, was drawing me. God was, was drawing me such that I, I absolutely had to respond and I just could not resist. And, and for Zacchaeus, God is drawing him such that he's, he's running to Jesus. He's running to Jesus to the point where he's running and, and jumping up in a, a tree. Now, how does, how does Zacchaeus of all the people, how does Zacchaeus, who's bailed on his own country, which is a very a religious country, a, a theocracy, how does Zacchaeus, of all of them, end up being the one who comes to Jesus? Think about it. He's very well known. He's a powerful man. And he's running alongside of a parade. <laughs> and then he climbs up in a tree in a city where everybody knew him as the big bad mob boss, the chief tax collector. Just a few verses earlier in in Luke chapter 18, as we saw a few weeks ago, verses 15 through 17, Jesus talks about how we need to become like little children. Remember that? And how we receive the the Lord. And Luke, what he may be doing here with the story of Zacchaeus, is, is showing us as a picture, a true story of what it looks like to receive Jesus like a child. In this culture, adults didn't run. Running was for children. Running looked foolish. Some of you are thinking, you should see me run. <laughs> it still looks foolish. <laughs> Have you ever been starstruck? Anybody? You, you saw somebody famous and you get all weird and ah, 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 and you get excited. Like if Tommy Brady boy walked in this morning and you would, you forget this, you just run and get, you pull out a pen and just fumble with your words and you'd be like a, a child right and that's what's going on he's he's childlike he's he's receiving the lord he's coming to the lord childlike before meeting jesus the father is drawing him to jesus and, and maybe for for us in this room there are some of you who you feel like maybe god is doing this in my heart maybe you've you're feeling this, this urge to respond. You're, you're, you're finding yourself around Jesus and perhaps it's the drawing of God to you. How did I end up in church today? How did I end up hanging out with this group of people? How did this person have the courage to come and, and to talk to me about something that's so charged and people get so worked up about? Maybe God is doing something in your heart and he's drawing you. Maybe you've seen God do that in, in your friend's heart or a family member's heart. Or your own child's heart if you're, you're a parent. This is a, a great, great thing. And, and what you need to do is to help them to see, hey, God is, God is doing something in, in, in your heart. Do you see that? Do you see that God is per- pursuing you? Maybe they need to hear, hey, God's pursuing you because you're worth it. God's pursuing you 
because the God of the universe, of all the things that he could put himself in the midst of, it's you right now. He's drawing you. He's paying attention to you. His eyes are on you. Have you ever been pursued by somebody? Like in a a relationship? They're trying to, to win your heart. They're dabbing extra cologne on, you know, or they brought you flowers, or they, they write you a song, and they're pursuing you. You know how well that feels, right? I'm not speaking from experience right now. Uh, and when I was in college, uh, I was pursuing this one particular girl. I already told you about her. And uh, my buddies and I wrote a song for Becky. And uh, they sat around. They were all musicians. And we wrote this song, and then her dorm was around the way, and it was like a three or four floor dorm, and she, I think she was on the second floor. And so we all got our courage up, and we went up to her dorm at night, and we started throwing rocks at her window, and she opens her window, and we sing this cheesy love song uh, to, to Becky. It was awesome. And as foolish as I looked, I know that she kind of liked being pursued. All the girls in the different floors in the hall were, were opening the windows and sticking out their heads and laughing, and I've got to be honest, I think she was, I think she kind of, I, I don't know, I think she kind of enjoyed it. And, and you know, some of you have been there where this weirdo is pursuing you and, and there, you have no interest at all, but be honest, it kind of feels nice that somebody is pursuing you, right? Well, you can know this, you can know that the God of the universe who made all of this is pursuing you. I believe you're here because he's pursued you or is pursuing you he's drawing you in that's point zero kind of happens before you're seeing it all happen but God is doing things under the surface some of you that's how you need to pray for a friend that it feels like there's nothing happening God would you start just working circumstances in their hearts that you're clearly pursuing them and drawing them and working in their lives because I feel helpless and you are that's why we pray so desperately for people we want to see them come to know Jesus Point zero, drawing. Here's the next step in the order. Point one, and that is grace. That is the the grace that God extends to you. Look again at verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I'm going to your house today, right? I'm going to your house today. I'm not going to let that song slip out of your head. I want you to leave with that in your head. Now, grace is when you're given what you don't deserve. That's, that's grace. Think about how many people Jesus had to walk past in order to get to Zacchaeus. You ever been in one of those moments where, where you, you think somebody's waving at you, but you're just not quite sure, and then you Hey, and then you do one of those numbers only to find out that they're not waving at you. And so the next time somebody's waving at you, and like, I'm not flapping my hand around this time. And then they're waving at you, and you don't wave back, and then they think, why are they mad at me? And then your relationship's destroyed, and your life falls apart, right? I'm imagining Zacchaeus must have felt a little bit of this. Is he? Who's he going up to? Why would he possibly come to me? I'm just, I'm hanging out in, in the, the tree. Surely he's not looking at me. I'm not waving. I'm not looking like a goon until Jesus calls his name. Jesus knows his name. I just had a conversation last week with my, my oldest son about how important it is to learn people's names. It's just so important. Think about what Hitler did. 
to the Jewish people. He took away their names and he gave them a number. You ever had somebody who should know your name see you and, hey, buddy, (laughs) hey, girl, (laughs) they they just forgot your name? Doesn't that deflate you? You feel kind of devalued and and even a bit dehumanized. But on the flip side, when somebody who you think, yeah, maybe they heard my name once, but they should not remember my name. They're important and I'm not. And, And they remember your name. Doesn't it give value? Doesn't it make you feel worth something? And if there was anybody who should have been written off, it should have been Zacchaeus. Yet he's met with grace. And Jesus knows his name and he calls him by name. And that amazing moment, I believe, where he won his heart is when he said, Zacchaeus. Kind of like with Peter. And Jesus says, you are Simon, but you shall be called Peter. I know your name. I've got a plan for your life. I'm not through with you. It's an amazing moment. I see you. I know you. It doesn't matter what they think. The God of the universe loves and is concerned for you. Zacchaeus, I see you. I know you. It doesn't matter what they think. The God of the universe is concerned with you. Insert your name now. I see you, I know you, I love you. It doesn't matter what they think. The God of the universe is concerned with you, is pursuing you, loves you. It's humanizing. It breathes life in your soul, doesn't it? So while we sing these songs that are so personal to God, aware that God sees me and he knows me, and what an amazing privilege he owes me nothing because he made me for a relationship with himself and then I lived my life as if he's not even there and then I can show up on a Sunday and talk to him and he still looks at me and knows me and pursues me it's amazing he's met with grace and it changes everything but Jesus isn't finished is he he doesn't just say hey Zacchaeus what's up buddy this is as Zacchaeus come on down fast because I'm going to stay at your house. And I'm always, I read that story and I'm always thinking, why didn't Peter, I mean, this typical Peter would have spoken up and said, uh, Jesus, I don't think so. Because he had to sleep wherever Jesus slept, right? He was one of the disciples. I'm not sleeping there. I'm not sleeping with that man right now. I'm not sleeping at Whitey Boulder's house. Not happening, right? And in that culture, when Jesus and his disciples would roll into places, they would receive hospitality and that was an honor for the people who were hosting Jesus they, they loved to host Jesus and it was also a way for the teacher or the rabbi not just Jesus but others to say these are my people by staying at someone's house he's saying these are my people Jesus he's my people he's my boy he's with me now that's grace isn't it when you get what you don't deserve I'm God's people? That's what Zacchaeus 
gets. That's the message of Jesus. That's grace. That's the, the gospel. It doesn't matter how jacked up you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It's never been about your works and your merit. It's always been about the works of Jesus and his merit. Jesus wants to identify with you and replace your unrighteousness with his righteousness. That's why we're, we're called to be clothed with Christ's righteousness. He wants you to wear it so that people see you. They see not your past. They see Christ in you, the hope of glory, or Christ on you. Scripture will also use that language as well. He wants your identity to go from your mistakes to Jesus, or for some of you, your successes to Jesus, like those Pharisees and Sadducees we've been seeing who were spiritually pretty successful, but were self-righteous, mistakes. Wants that to switch, that identity from mistakes and failures to successes to all of it to Jesus, to a saint. Why? Because you're saintly? Because you're holy? No, because he is. And that identity can be yours. So what happens next? There's drawing. There's grace. There's repentance. When you're met with grace, you respond, you repent, which literally means to turn from going one direction, now going another direction. For Zacchaeus, that physical repenting moment was come down from the tree. And he came down from the tree. Why? Because he was met with the grace of Jesus. In theology, we call it irresistible grace. That you can't resist the grace of God when it is extended to you. Think back with me to Romans chapter 8 verse 30 as we read earlier. And those whom he predestined he also called. And those who he called he also justified. And those whom he justified he also glorified. If God initiates the first step in that sequence, he will do them all. God finishes what he Starts. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. So Jesus draws Zacchaeus, he extends grace to Zacchaeus, and he's just going to keep moving in this process of Zacchaeus will now repent because of the grace. Because you can't resist the grace of God, it causes you. To move, to act, to, to, to turn. When you really get and see, receive the grace of God, it's the most beautiful thing you could possibly lay your eyes on. It's life-changing. It's paradigm-shifting that God would love me. He would pursue me. He would die for me. So Zacchaeus turned from his former self to his new identity in Jesus. He just couldn't resist the grace of God. And some of you need that today. You've watched Jesus from the outside for quite a while. Maybe you've watched Jesus from the trees, so to speak, for a while. Now he's before you. And it's time to come down. And it's time to let him into your house. There's drawing. There's grace. There's repentance. And then there's evidence. That's what's going to happen. 
And maybe this one stings a little bit for some of us because again, Christian America, for so many of us, there's no evidence. We're labeled Christian, but there's no evidence. And again, you can't omit one. If there's three but not the one, you're... You're lacking. It's not real salvation, biblical salvation. There will be evidence. If you have zero and one and two, there will be evidence. For Zacchaeus, verse six or verse eight is evidence. He says, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. It just, I, something's, I'm different. I got to give half my goods to the poor. He goes on, he says, and if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold now that's a changed man right there who was so wicked that he would sell his loved ones out his own people out for money now he's saying i give half of what i have and more if i defrauded anybody of anything i'll give it fourfold so he's giving his stuff away and he's returning what he's taken from you times four imagine zacchaeus going to people's houses as the chief tax collector has he defrauded anyone he's defrauded a lot of people in this big city and they're coming to houses Zacchaeus now and he's returning stuff giving stuff back and people are I would imagine kind of like they were when the apostle Paul was a changed man and he comes they say I don't know if we can hang out with you Paul you were Osama stinking bin Laden and now you want to hang out with us I'm a, I'm changed well, we'll see about that <laughs> you can be changed outside right now Zacchaeus same story he starts coming back and you imagine, is he packing heat right now? Or is that, or is that shekels that he's packing? He's going to be paying. And, and people start sharing the story. Zacchaeus, has he come to your house? Has he come to your house? It all started when Jesus came to his house, but now he's going to other people's houses and he's returning and, and giving fourfold. That means if, if he defrauded you of $1,000, he's giving you $4,000. It's amazing. Now what caused him to clean up his act? bunch of rules a sermon on not cheating is that what caused him no what caused him to clean up his act was grace grace remember you cannot change the order or the sequence of salvation it's grace then evidence here's a great passage to show you this titus chapter 2 11 through 14. Here's what it says. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Do you see it? You see that? What trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion? The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. How many of us are trying so hard to do what's right trying so hard to be a good person to honor God but it's not working we keep finding ourselves at the same place over and over and over again I'll tell you probably why it's because it's not grace motivated 
It's let me respond to some rules. Imagine if after church, Kevin uh, puts down his guitar and says, hey, Josh, uh, you know, I really think you should buy Becky some flowers. I did it for Pam. She loved it. I mean, it's going to work, man. You should go buy your wife some, some flowers. And so on the way home, I go to the grocery store, and I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. He's so brilliant and so smooth. And so I buy some flowers for, for my wife, and I come home with this bouquet of flowers, and I, I see her, and I say, hey, babe, uh, Kevin told me that I should probably buy you some flowers, that it will work really well. And so here you are, my love. After being slapped in the face, the flowers are going in, in the, the trash. Why? Something's off. (laughs) Something's missing. However, if tomorrow I just have a great time with my wife and on my own initiative, I think she is just amazing and she loves white chocolate mocha from Starbucks. I'm going to swing by Starbucks and buy her a white chocolate mocha. And I come home and say, hey, you're awesome. I love you so much. Here you go. She'll probably drink it, not throw it in my face. There's something different. That's biblical repentance. That's biblical evidence of a heart change. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12. The grace of God appears training us to essentially honor him. But if there's no evidence, has his grace impacted you? If you're just doing evidence without the grace piece, it's not going to last. It gets really exhausting. Have you really experienced the kindness of the Lord? Have you really been met by Jesus? Have you really walked through this sequence of events that these things have all happened, omitting none of them? That's our great prayer for you today, is that you would leave with Jesus. And that he would go back to your home. He would go back and infiltrate every area of your lives. And maybe you feel a bit like Zacchaeus. You feel unworthy. You feel like I should probably, of all people, just stay back in the the trees. But Jesus would come to you too. Because if he can go to the mob boss, he can go to you. That's his heart. You feel unworthy? That's right. I'm, I'm unworthy. We're all unworthy. Jesus loves to love those who are hard to love. And I want to ask you, like Zacchaeus, would you joyfully receive him into your home today, into your heart today, as he's calling you by name? That's some of you. Others of you in here, you're a professing Christian, but the truth is maybe there's just no evidence in your life. And here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to tell you to go do anything other than just get your eyes on Jesus. Just just get your eyes on Jesus in Scripture and in prayer and in being with his people. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And what is going to happen, I believe, is that as you see his grace and as you see his kindness, that changes you. That changes you. Can I be straight up and just frank? The reason why couples don't enjoy sleeping together is because they have no time together. I say it in marital counseling all the time. It starts at breakfast, men. 
And similarly, you, you want this robust relationship with God where you, it's just amazing and I'm obeying him and all the wonderful things are happening and the wrong things aren't happening and the right things are, but you have no time with him and you, you're not impacted by his grace on a daily basis? I'm telling you. We get things flip-flopped all the time and we end up using and abusing the Lord and the grace of God. But if you would walk through this sequence, God would walk you through this sequence. Things start to flip. Things start to change. And so maybe you're a professing Christian and it's not happening. Maybe you need to go back to God. Go back to his grace. And watch what he does in your heart. And watch how you see the magnitude of this God. And how, yet, how huge and yet how narrowly pointed he is at you. How he knows your name and he loves you and he cares for you and he draws you and he pursues you and he sings to you. The Bible says he sings over you. I love that picture, like a father singing over his child. That's God to you. That'll change you. That's grace that leads to godliness, leads to the evidence, leads to the sanctification, leads to the glorification, all the different things that Puritan's packed in there. I'm praying hard that God would do this among us, that we would be a people who overflow from grace in faithful obedience and response to the Lord. So let me pray for that right now. God, I commit my friends in this room to you. Thank you for these weighty truths that we see in a cute little kid's story. Thank you. And God, I pray that if there's anybody in here who has never experienced the power of Jesus looking at them and saying, I know your name, I love you, I've got a plan for your life, I died for you, I resurrected back to life, I'm king and I want to be king over your life. Would you turn from sin and turn to me? God, I pray that nobody's, nobody's had that experience. I'm trusting that you've been drawing them, they're here for that reason and that you would do that work in their heart right now, Father. May it be irresistible that they just have to respond to the amazing love of Jesus. And God, for those of us who are Christians, may we just be completely and continually overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus. That it's not just something that happened a while back when we became a Christian, but it's something we see and dwell on and experience and relive every single day. And that is what leads us to continual repentance, a life of repentance, a life of obedience, a life of holiness. And that when we fail, we come back and you still love us. You never left us. It was never about our merit. It was always about your merit. And so nothing we can do earn your love. Nothing we can do would cause us to lose your love. May we know this. This is the gospel that you have given to us. This is the gospel that the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's powerful. And may it be powerful among us. It's so powerful that it, it flips our lives upside down. It'd be so powerful that we can't help but talk about it on Monday more than the patriots and what happens tonight that we can't help but talk about Jesus because that's what matters. That's eternal. That's amazing grace. Do that work in our hearts, Father.
pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.